Hi everyone, this is Devin from Fluvio and you're listening to Embracing Erosion, the podcast that lets you inside the heads of product marketers, investors, and go-to-market leaders who tackle changes head-on and turn them into competitive advantages. Navigating the world of product marketing is tough. At Fluvio, we get it, probably more than anyone else. We see you wrestling with resources, proving your team's worth, and juggling changing responsibilities all the time. But imagine a world where you could confidently and systematically tackle your product marketing challenges. That's where our go-to-market model comes in. The Fluvio go-to-market model guides each one of our engagements with the likes of Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, NASDAQ, and many more, and provides companies with a path to clarity and success. And now, we're thrilled to package up that model and deploy it within our new product, the Fluvio Go-To-Market Assessment. The Go-To-Market Assessment delivers transformative insights to gauge your team's performance, identify key investment areas, and sets up benchmarks for success. If you are a product or marketing leader, get started today with our proprietary Go-To-Market Assessment and receive a customized evaluation and actionable insights within one week. Just go to fluviomarketing.com slash GTM assessment today. On this episode of Embracing Erosion, I had on Andrew Blancato. After spending over a decade as a people and recruiting leader for companies like Kickstarter, Etsy, Casper, and more, Andrew founded Purpose Talent to focus on helping mission-driven companies succeed through people. His focus now is on building a talent business that provides high-touch and reimagined talent services that help both clients and people thrive. Andrew works with clients as a partner in building executive teams and boards. He's an advisor on all things people and talent, and he's an investor in a number of early stage startups. Over the last several years, he's led searches for multiple early stage co-founders, CEOs, board directors, product and engineering leaders, general counsels, and more. And oh, he also has recruited me twice. So he must really know what he's doing. But in all seriousness, Andrew is someone who I have much respect for and I trust, and I always find myself just nodding along when we chat. In this discussion, we chat through how to architect early stage company infrastructure, how to define culture, what it means to truly be mission driven, how to effectively recruit executives, why building a network pays dividends, and much more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, Andrew, thanks for for joining me. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So there's a few people that I have soft spots for. Um, (laughs) You are one of them. So you, I'm going to mention this in the intro, so the listeners are going to already have heard this, but Andrew recruited me into my first product marketing role back in the day, a company called Tremor Video, and then also then recruited me to Etsy, which was a nice little step. It was technically a sideways step, but into obviously a much more well-known company. Um, so I would say you're pretty influential in, in establishing me as a product marketer. So thank no, I you. It. No, I think <laughs> it's you. It's all you. But no, it's it's been crazy to think about. I was uh, reminiscing on this over the weekend. What year was it that you joined? That Tremor? was 2011, I think. That's crazy. I mean, yeah. it's almost 13 years. Yeah. Yep. Crazy. Look how far you've now, come. Uh, Now you live a life out in Hudson where I um, was married and I love that area. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
I'm very jealous and I'm excited that you're you're joining me. It's been a while since we actually caught up in general, yeah. so now we get to record it. For sure. No, I'm excited about it. So I want to just get you started on purpose talent. So obviously you've, you know, done talent acquisition and at a high level at a number of companies, really noteworthy companies. You struck out on your own before a lot of people started striking out on their own, honestly. So what inspired you to start Purpose Talent? And tell me a little bit also about like the specific positioning that you have on mm-hmm. on the firm. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. Like the last few years, we've seen this huge influx of people starting their own talent consulting businesses because we've gone through <clears throat> the turmoil and the the kind of craziness of a global pandemic, right? So layoffs happening from that. Um, things started to go crazy again and companies were hiring, going gangbusters for 2020 and 2021, and then macroeconomic headwinds, right? So a bunch of recruiters got laid off again, right? Many of them for the second time in, in, in two, three years. So there's been a move towards people in the talent acquisition space starting their own thing. But I think the challenge that uh, they're running into now is it's a very crowded market, right? So, you know, how do you actually dif- differentiate what you bring to the table versus, you know, the thousands of others that have kind of struck out on their own? Um, when it comes to why I did it, I mean, there was a bunch of circumstantial, you know, pieces of the puzzle. Uh, had my first kid back in 2019. Um that was, you know, that's like a life-changing thing, right? So you're you're kind of building perspective on what's important in life and what you want to do. Um, I had decided to leave Kickstarter like late 2019, uh, right before the pandemic. And I was just going to take a step back and do, do consulting, but, you know, probably jump back into something full time. Uh, and then, you know, the pandemic hit and it was just like, what do we do from here? Right. Like we have this situation that we're all in. You had a lot of people that I think were taking a step back from work and thinking about what's important in life. Right. Like I I know a lot of people that, you know, personally, I know them that took a step back from the corporate world and went in and started small businesses. They bought hotels, you know, they, they moved up to the Catskills or do, you know, did what I did. And it was like, I don't want to be part of the corporate, you know, kind of structure and hierarchy, right? So a million different reasons coming together. But for me, I think it was like in the cards, probably even before I started doing work with like Etsy and Kickstarter. When I left Casper, I felt like it was very much like a, a an experience that could be replicated and could help early stage startups succeed at, at higher levels, right? And what I mean by that is you're coming into this environment that, you know, day one at Casper, I joined and they didn't like half the company didn't know who I was. They didn't have a laptop. It was just like pure startup. This thing is booming. Everything was exciting. And, you know, within a year we went from 30 people to 250 people. Right. So it was just wow. you know, crazy. Like, you know, hiring like crazy. The business was growing like crazy. The brand was growing. I mean, you were in New York at this time, subway ads, all this stuff, but yeah. building out that early stage infrastructure felt like something that a lot of startups need it, right? So how do you kind of build this, you know, playbook in a sense, but do it in a way that is less about here's the exact kind of prescription for you and more about here's the framework for how you do this, right? How do you get to know who your founders are, what your culture is, what you want to be in the future in terms of like values and aspirational culture, and then build kind of systems and team to to help you get there, right? So I started thinking about this back when I left Casper. And then after uh, the Kickstarter experience, I was, you know, part of the executive team there. 
you know, ran all of people, talent acquisition, workplace, talent management, you know, had a much broader view of the organization. And I realized that, you know, the the chief people officer role isn't something that I wanted to do over and over and, and build companies for people. Like the thing that was really exciting for me was building you know, more, not like a volume of startups, but being able to influence more than just one, right? Yeah. So, you know, so you and I have talked about this in the past, like there's more of, of an impact that you can make on a broader set of companies and products by going the consulting route or the fractional yeah. route. And it doesn't mean that I won't go build my own product business in the future, but for the last three years, it's been amazing, right? Like I've been able to, you know, work with, probably two, three dozen different clients. And that's, you know, given how small we are, we're only a couple full-time people. I have a couple of like independent contractors that we plug in that I know and trust that just love to operate independently, but we're not trying to build a big staffing firm by any means. Yeah. Like everyone that works with me is former operator. They've built startups. They've built the companies that everyone that I work with now aspires to be like, you know what I mean? They want to be like an Etsy or, you know, Kickstarter or whatever it may be. So, you know, I think the motivation at that point was how do I make a broader impact? And then how do I control my own time and right. life? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's a, most entrepreneurs would say that's a big piece of the puzzle. Yeah. The, uh, the aspect of being able to work and feel like you're, ha you have an impact with multiple companies, how that like dynamic environment is exciting. That's definitely sort of why I did it, why I left mm -hmm. and started my own firm. I felt like after a year somewhere, I almost felt stagnant. And that's sort of a pitch we have when we hire. It's like, yeah. typically you're working as a product marketer, you're working on one product for mm -hmm. maybe a couple of years. And at some mm -hmm. point it just becomes a little bit repetitive and not as stimulating. And, you know, when you get to embed yourself in multiple companies and learn different industries and different products, it becomes a little more exciting. And typically um, I end up working with a lot of startups, right? So that's not to say that. that. What is your typical, yeah, what is your typical, um, like what's your ICP? Who are the typical companies that would come to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, one of the things, and I, you know, should have mentioned this in the last question that you asked, but <clears throat> the the focus for Purpose Talent is a little bit different than most staffing yeah. firms. Like I've come across a couple others that that think this way, but um, we only work with companies that we believe are not just mission driven, because I feel like that's a little bit of a trap to say that these days, because there's a lot of like mission driven companies that, you know, it's, it's really about the money, right? Like that's a branding <laughs> thing for them more than anything. And <clears throat> the other side of that coin is you could be mission driven, but still not treat your people the right way. And, and, you know, I think for us, it's two things. We work with companies that, you know, we believe are building products and services that are going to build a better future. Right. So like it's it could be anything from the world of like the creator economy, um, you know, more artist friendly kind of um, products, whatever, you know, driving revenue for people that may not get it in other places or the future of learning and education and, you know, everything in between. It's less about like we work in a specific segment and more. Yeah we want to make an impact. And these are the general kind of spaces that we do that. But the flip side of the coin, and one I think is almost, I don't want to say more important, but something that I try to be very, you know, kind of intentional about when talking to new clients is organizations or, you know, leaders that are really excited to build a better future of work, right? Like generally a theme that I find with clients is they're led by a founder or a group of founders that aren't satisfied with the way companies, you know, and traditional kind of practices um, have, have 
led us, uh, you know, over the last several decades in, in the corporate world, right? So they want to build a more, you know, kind of human-centered, progressive future of work. They're more inclined to, you know, be flexible about, you know, where people operate from or, you know, trying to create more of a culture that's like both tops down and bottoms up where, you know, it's, it's more about collaboration and great ideas and, and learning. Like that's a big theme across clients. Right. Um, but to answer that second question, startups generally, I think because of that mindset is more yeah. embedded, it's more about like, how do we disrupt? How do we do things differently? Um, you know, how do we build something zero to one that hasn't been done before? Like that's, you know, a lot of the mindset is similar. So we've done everything from, you know, I've taken people who have an idea that don't have co-founders and help them find co-founders uh, all the way through to, you know, helping a company hire a CFO to do IPO prep. Like it's, you know, it's stage agnostic, but the frameworks that we leverage allow us to kind of play within all those stages. So what's what have you found to be the, the major differences and nuances when you're recruiting high level executive talent or even like I didn't know you've helped people find founders. That's actually super interesting. Yeah, I'd love to hear like based on your past experience, you've you know, you've recruited an array of different roles. What's so different and nuanced about recruiting an executive? Yeah, I mean, I think that historically there's been retained search firms that try to make it feel different when fundamentally what it should be is connecting someone to an opportunity. It doesn't have to be that different. Yeah, comp and equity and all the, you know, stuff around that is going to look quite different. But, you know, think of it from a product marketing perspective. You'll you'll appreciate this. Like uh what you're trying to do is tell the story of the value of your opportunity or your product to the market, right? And I think a lot of traditional search firms go out there and they lead with, this is a company that's, you know, got X, Y, and Z investors that you recognize. They've raised $200 million. They're going to IPO and you're going to have an exit in two years, right? This is yeah. going to make you a millionaire. But I think that like the reality is that's not always the truth. A lot of people don't care who the investors are, assuming that there's a healthy business underneath and there's an idea. The, the stuff that people are looking for today is, is this a mission that I care about? Like, do I care about solving this problem, right? Like, do I understand how they're going to solve it um, with their product or service? Can I go in there and fulfill my own personal goals, whether it be like growing my career or flexibility, autonomy? Like, does it give me the life that I want to live? And am I going to be working with a group of people that share a similar set of mental models or belief system, values, whatever you want to call it, right? Organizational principles. It's It all boils down to, is this a group of people that have a similar viewpoint to the world that I do? Because when things get hard, viewpoints become really important, right? That's where the friction comes in. And yeah. you want to have that like foundation to work off of, right? So that's where I think the, the, the executive side is really important because let's say you're hiring a chief product officer, you as a founder and CEO, if you don't click with that person, they could be the best product leader in the world. It's dead, right? Yeah, like it fails. And it's like a 12 month failure window because you got to give this executive a shot. Right. So, you know, to me, it's less about um, pedigree and, and, you know, name brand companies. Like, yes, that's a factor because you want to know that people have good experience, but it's more about the nuance of what motivates them and how they operate. Like the, the, the skill set and experience is table stakes. Like that's, yeah. the, that's the easy thing to assess. Like, are you going to work well together and are they intrinsically motivated by this? Or am I always going to have to dangle the carrot of like a bonus to get them to do the thing? Right. Um, it's funny because we're recruiting right now. And so I, I actually should ask you a ton of questions about our, our recruiting process, yeah. but 
I I have a similar mindset when I'm recruiting a product marketing consultant. It's the job itself is a prerequisite. Check the box. Whoever I'm in my pipeline better be exceptional product marketing. Mm -hmm. The part that's hard for me to gauge for us is we're a services company. So you have to be a product marketer, but also have, I don't even want to say soft skills because that really just dumbs it down. It's way more Mm -hmm. complicated, but you have to be someone who can instill trust, Mm -hmm. who people really enjoy being around, who people respect, who's really on the ball, who has ambition. And I can't measure, I, I find it very difficult to measure these things, engage them while I'm interviewing yeah. someone. Yeah. I mean, I think with something like that, like I, I, you know, everyone thinks that reference checks are always like a check the box kind of thing. Right. But I think I view references as more of a continuation of the process, of course, but as a way to learn about how someone operates. Right. So it's less about validating whether you should hire the person and more about can you learn how they interact with people? What motivates them? How they're going to be with a customer, right? If they're put in a situation where, like, you know, this being a, like a services business, so am I. If, if something's going bad with a client, you got to figure out how to navigate that. And the thing you want to do is just be proactive. Like, let's get mm-hmm. in this and solve this thing together. But if you throw a product marketer that's only worked in-house at a company before into an environment where a client's pissed off, like that's not going to be, it's it's uncomfortable. It's just right? a new zone for them. They've never been. Exactly. They'll fall into a reactive stance, yeah. and that I always I love how you say proactive because that's one of the things I harp on every single week. Like we have to be super proactive and mm-hmm. um, get ahead of these things, and never fall back into a reactive stance. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No. It's really interesting. I mean, coming back to like the product uh, kind of analogy there, like I really do think hiring ultimately is a product exercise, right? Like if you're building a company. What is your product that you're putting out to the world, right? You as a services company, part of your story and your positioning is being able to say, this is how we deliver for our clients. This is the impact that we make. This is the the mindset that we have. And if you could tell that story, that's your talent brand, right? Like that's, that's you putting this value prop out to the world for someone to say, that's me or that's not me. I'm not, I don't want that. Right. Like that's, that's a piece of it. But I think the challenge that I've seen in exec recruiting, you know, historically is they're not thinking about what differentiates one individual company or mission or, you know, a body of work that's coming up in the next 12 months. It's very much, they're operating at the, we need a COO for this venture backed company in this broad space, but they're not telling a compelling story. Like I get these messages all the time. I'm sure you do. Yeah. I'm just like, this is boilerplate, the same thing, right? Yeah. I was going to ask actually, how do you, so for us, we, the, the, the best candidates are the ones that I've actually already networked with mm-hmm. and I'm starting to really see that pay dividends actually. So people that have raised their hand have said, I'm actually interested in what you're building. I don't, you don't have any open roles, but like, let's chat. I will almost yeah. always say yes. And now that we are hiring, the people that are bubbling right up are the ones that have already raised their hand and said that they have a unique interest in our company and align with what we're doing and are excited about it. And, you know, so it's been nice to see that network develop. When you're trying to fill some of these exec roles, are you, I'm assuming at this point, you have a pretty decent network of, mm-hmm. of leadership, but you must also have to proactively recruit. What's the pipeline look like? Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I part of the pitch here is like, I have a network, but I don't want you to hire me for that. Right. Like the, the, the pitch here is, I'm going to help you design a full stack hiring process that gets you to a good decision, right? And I've done this in-house. I've built companies before. It's less about 
like I'm the product guy and go talk to Andrew if you need a PM tomorrow, I may have the person for you, but I don't know if I do, right? And I say this to, to clients on like sales calls all the time. It's like, if you want someone that is only focused on X type of recruiting because they have the Rolodex, then that's probably not me. But if you want someone that's going to de-risk your hiring process and you know, kind of help to teach you along the way how to get to the best outcome, I can help you do that, right? And and the way that we do that is like in-depth research, right? So kickoffs and discovery with clients. I, I want to understand the the hiring manager, typically like the founder or CEO or some you know executive. I want to know about their culture. I want to know what the actual goals and OKRs and metrics are for the role. What what kind of roadblocks are we going to run into? Um, you know, the investor deck and all that stuff is fantastic, right? If I'm telling the story, but yeah. I want to know the nuances of the why, the what, and the how of, of this opportunity, right? Like that's my product that I'm bringing to market. And then it's about in-depth research on who are the people out there that have done this before or have done 80% of it, let's say, right? Because I think one of the challenges, like, you know, coming back to the product thing, a lot of companies put a role out there as this is our product and they're overshooting on who their customer actually could be, right? Who the candidate could be. What do you mean? Like you're the series B startup that's, yeah, you're growing fast and that's exciting. But you're not going to hire the CFO of Airbnb, right? Like that's just <laughs> not the way it works, right? Unless you have some crazy, unique, you know, uh, circumstance that just fits this perfect moment in time, then, you know, it's a long shot, right? So the product kind of like discovery here with a, with a, with a job is, What's the, the the motivational alignment for this candidate, right? What's the true value prop for them? And like coming back to your networking thing, I've said for years, even running teams in-house to the recruiters on my team, don't spend 100% of your time trying to fill the jobs we have today. 20, 30% of it, just go talk to good people. I don't care mm-hmm. if you don't have anything for them for the next two years. If you have more good people looking at you as like a valuable resource or a trusted partner, good things happen. They're going to reach out to you, right? Like when I started Purpose Talent and put this message out to the world that I only want to work with companies that we believe are making an impact and prioritizing their people, tons of candidates that I tried to recruit five, 10 years ago reached out to me and they were like, just hit me up anytime if you have something that's good because they know it's like they can trust I'm going to bring good things to them. Right. right? For the most part, right? There's always a miss every once in a while. What are some like unique questions or processes that you uh you have candidates go through is there anything that you've developed that you're like this tends to work and mm-hmm. i've you know you kind of made it up i mean i don't know that i've made it up i always say to people it's like hiring's not rocket science i think people put a lot of this stuff up on a pedestal and like complicate it like fundamentally what's a recruiter there to do connect someone to an opportunity that you know kind of fits with their personal goals right uh the thing that i like to do is really get to know someone outside of a specific job spec, right? So like the question I ask every single candidate is pen and paper, you could magically bring to life like what your next role looks like or the next step in your life and career. What does that look like? I don't want to tell you anything about this company or this job before you answer this and just try to listen to them. You know what I mean? Like get a sense of what they're actually trying to accomplish what would help them feel fulfilled in their work and their life. Like maybe it it isn't, I want to step into the C-level role. It's I want more flexibility because I just had a kid or I want a company that is going to, you know, really prioritize my well-being and balance that with, you know, the work, whatever it may be, get to know people for their goals, right? And seek out the value for them more than 
you're seeking it out for the company, right? Because look, inherently, if you're kicking off a search, you know that some value is being delivered to this company. You wouldn't open up a job unless you knew we want to accomplish X, Y, and Z, right? So you flip the kind of script a little bit and the mindset and like just seek out the value for the candidate. And then it actually becomes a lot easier to say, these intrinsic motivations align with this opportunity or they don't. And, and yeah. either way is okay. But like it, it, I likened it to uh, somebody the other day, you're kind of like a conductor of an orchestra with motivation and opportunity. And if you can put those things together, that's where great stuff happens. But it's hard to do because you have to yeah. bring, people have to have self-awareness about what they want. Yeah, is that usually a challenge? Do some people it not is. know? I mean, you know, historically, <laughs> been asked like, that. yeah, I, I do think it's a challenge because what's the somebody? Um, I don't know who it was that that said this, but you go to work every every day doing two jobs. One is like your actual job, and the other is like wearing the mask to pretend that this is the thing you're most excited about, right? Like it's you know you, you go to work to prove that you're the company person and you're motivated and you're going to do. But that's shifting a little bit, like the narrative is shifting with, you know, kind of gig economy and fractional and people can say the thing that I want is this, right? And doing work fractionally gets me there. And that's totally fine, right? So there's more willingness for people to be open about their goals now, I think. But you got to get them to, like, there's this um, inherent power dynamic of, I have the power to hire you and pay you this money. So people naturally will put on the show. That dynamic has been changing though, right? So we felt this here as a consulting company. There was two, three years ago, there was this crazy, you know, supply demand imbalance on the supply side, right? Mm -hmm. So there was not as much talent that uh, could possibly fulfill all the open roles. And so everyone was competing heavily, trying to grow fast, paying people through the roof. Now the opposite, right? We've had these layoffs. Every role that opens up is like, highly coveted. And so the dynamic has slowly shifted. Have you been feeling that? Yeah. I mean, it's shifted and it's crazy. I mean, I, I, the other thing that I do that's a little bit different is I encourage all clients to post jobs publicly. Like I I think that um, historically exec search firms have said, you're not going to get any quality that way and yada, yada, yada. I don't believe it. Like I've, I've seen it in house. A lot of great people if they actually are aligned with what you're building or maybe they're users of your product, like at Kickstarter, we did a little research um, at one point to see where the majority of our hires were coming from. And we looked at like web traffic, how did they get to the ATS? How'd they get to the job posting? And we actually found that most people that we ended up hiring came to the jobs page through projects, through Kickstarter projects, through like being users and saying, Oh, this would be cool. Should I go check this out? And we ended up hiring a lot of those people because the, intrinsic motivation for the product was already there. So like there was this natural connection. So I encourage clients, like if you have no reason to keep it confidential, why keep it confidential, right? Like post the job, get word out there, especially from like a diversity and access standpoint, mm-hmm. it, it, it's only negative, right? To, to keep it secret. So True. Uh, it takes a lot of extra work, <laughs> you know, to kind of dig into the, the applications, but you know, I think that's worth the cause. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to move super tactically. So yeah. What is your thought on, like, there's been a lot of companies that require big projects to be completed. And sometimes I feel like companies will have a problem they're currently actually struggling with. It's almost like free work and it requires a lot of time. Is that something that you have found helpful, like vetting a real project? And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, do, do you recommend that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's interesting is I, I think if you're going to ask someone to do work like that, especially if it's on something that is like a, a real body of work that you're trying to tackle, uh, pay them, right? Like do a day where you pay them. Um, I don't like doing these things. I think they're, you know, it can be helpful. It's it's like homework as well, like not just like actual work, but go do this yeah. case study, right? And and spend four hours on it and then bring it back to me in, you know, 72 hours, whatever it may be. I think that's okay. I'd rather it be a prompt yeah. 24 hours before to, to tee up a live case study session, right? Like a, sure. like a working session that is less about like, cause no one from the outside is going to understand your business the way you do. Right. So naturally candidates are at like some level of disadvantage. So think about how do you learn the way they collaborate, problem solve more about how they would approach problem solving than actually doing the work. And I think you get that through live case study. Yeah. Right. Yes. I like that idea as well. Um, so when I was at Amazon, you probably are familiar with how they, they hire, but everything's based on the Amazon leadership principles and you, you know, you're a part of a three or four person loop and you get assigned to two principles that you basically are, are vetting against. Yeah. yeah. And they even give you like the question guide that goes to each principle. And so you basically just go through and you select which questions you want to use. And it's just all based on principles. So you don't really get into, of course, the questions dig into real projects that they Mm -hmm. have to walk through, but it's, it's more like, theoretical, I think, than a lot of the other interview processes I mm-hmm. went through. At Fluvio, we do something similar, not e- extreme on that end, but we do yeah. have four uh, principles here. And I part of my uh, my job on the interview loop is to make sure they're aligned to the company principles, which I think makes sense. I'm the founder. The other folks who are interviewing kind of have their own little, mm-hmm. little taste to do. Um, but is that like, do you think that's effective? Is that similar to the framework that you put in place? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like I, you could say a lot about Amazon, but I actually think Amazon's been really good at hiring for their culture, right? And it's because the leadership principles are kind of embedded into everything that they do. It doesn't mean that I would like working at Amazon. Like I probably <laughs> wouldn't, right? Because I don't align with that, right? So that's the job though, right? Like that's, that's, you know, the job that those things are doing. So what they're assessing there is less... You could say it's theoretical. Um, it, it's it's behavioral to, to a certain extent. It's it's how people operate, right? So it comes down to like we all have these mental models of of how the world works, right? It's it's kind of I said it to someone on a call earlier today. If you could understand how someone measures success in any situation, you can predict how they're going to behave, right? So this idea of um, what's the the saying? Past experience is the most accurate predictor of future performance. I don't yeah. know that that's necessarily true. I think past experience is, is the best predictor of future decision-making, but I don't know that that's performance, right? Because you step into a new environment and what good looks like is different, right? Like the measurement of how things should operate or the guiding principles or company values are different everywhere you go. So you've seen a lot of the You've seen the, the 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 A player stuff, right? Like I go on and preach about this stuff on LinkedIn and complain about it all the time, but I don't think that the A player idea is is a real thing. There's not just one universal definition for what a A player is. I think that someone who's great in one environment can go to another one and flounder because it just doesn't make sense to them, right? It's just a different set of goals for what good looks like. And that's okay, right? Like yeah. Kickstarter as an example, we tried to hire... Um, 
you know, product designers as an example, right? And we would talk to people from Facebook at the time. And at the time, Facebook was like very much focused on UX that keeps you glued to the newsfeed no matter what, because that's where revenue was. That's where ads yep. were. We didn't want designers that were going to focus entirely on PP, P- keeping people glued yeah. into Kickstarter. That, that, that wasn't the goal. It actually was like kind of counter to the company's values, right? So we would focus on those that are trying to, you know, design like, elegant, delightful experiences where people can get the information that they need, you know, support projects, move on, right? Like it's, it's less about keeping it glued, like mental dopamine hit on the yeah, website. Right. So that's that, but that doesn't mean that they were bad designers. It was just their yeah. success metrics were different than what, what ours were. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think back of my career and like, I was a horrible employee at this agency that you recruited me from. And then I was great at Tremor Video, but I was terrible in that one environment. It's very unhappy. And yeah. It just wasn't a fit for me, and I'm sure I wasn't a fit for them. But uh, yeah, I can I can see how this A player commentary is not uh, the reality. The bane of my existence. So what about? I know you do some advising, and I think you yeah. do a little bit of investing as well. Like yeah. I guess, talk to me about the differences when you're are you re- recruiting and then advising companies that you are also helping them build their their workforce or is it totally separate yeah it's a it's a mix right like i think that um when i get connected to people that are trying to find co-founders like it's so early that they haven't raised any funds right so like there's there's a little bit of a i can take a lower cash comp for some sort of like stake in the company and let's build together and i'll I'll advise you as you kind of scale up and that that's great like that's you know if i have a belief in the company and the idea it makes sense for me, right? Especially if I'm able to, I think one of the biggest influences you could make on a company is bringing in a co-founder, right? And if that goes well, like you've you've set this company on a trajectory to, to win or lose, right? Or, you know, succeed in yeah. some way. So, you're betting on yourself because you're in a position to actually exactly. help them at such an exactly. early period. And that's hard because there's no established culture. There's no established anything. You got to find two people that are going to work well together. And you want some levels of healthy tension and different skill sets, but they still have to work well together because- if they're going to be a VC backed company and take investor money, like there's, they got to be able to stick it, stick it out for five plus years and build something. Right. So that's really interesting. Um, so I advise companies that I, I, I help early like that. So I've done probably three or four different co-founder um, hires in the last 24 months um, for pre-seed companies. And, and that's been, you know, wonderful. And I, you know, just kind of keep an open uh, you know, get together once a quarter, once a month kind of thing with them and help everything I, any way I can on the people side. Right. Um, I've also invested in a bunch of other stuff um, just, you know, through network and and that's less about like angel investing and, you know, yeah. just, just getting involved um, in people that I have faith in. I haven't fully gone down that path because I've been pretty busy with, you know, just building out purpose talent, but I think it's interesting. I have, I love when companies bootstrap, you know, like I I think, especially right now, it's like the hot topic, but, you know, I think the more you can build a business that isn't, you know, kind of reliant on venture capital, the more you can actually control what's done, especially in a really mission-driven business, right? So we've seen a lot of these companies the last two years have to lay off huge chunks of their company because investors said so. And, you know, it may have been counter to what they want to do, but they, you know, you give up some level of control. So I have like a a weird uh, uh, kind of relationship with the the investing side. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, But I also do some investing and we have like a very nascent investment arm in Fluvio called Fluvio Ventures. Mm -hmm. And similar to you, it's like 
as we work with more startups, which our workshop services geared more towards startups, mm -hmm. that is a natural incubator into potentially investing in companies that now we've just done almost like a product market fit analysis with mm -hmm. that we believe in. We've met the founders, you know, why not be able to invest in them? And then for us, we've raised from, you know, we have LPs, it's a syndicate yeah. format. So it's not just all, all of our capital. So we think, think we sit in an interesting position and I'm just interested in it. Yeah, uh, no, and I think that's great because you can actually control how you your relationship with these companies, right? Like how you influence them, how you guide them. And I think that's, yeah. that's fun. So I like that piece of it, right? Yeah, I haven't yeah. fully committed to the path, but I see that as a path with purpose talent. As yeah. Well. I can see you guys doing that for sure. Yeah. For sure. And especially like you can make bets on people. I think a lot of VCs would say this, like the people that you invest in are almost more important than the idea. Like that's the idea is huge, sure. but like that, it all comes down to people. And I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on, you know, how yeah, you, have, you do. Yeah, you really could. You really could do that if you got interested enough. You yeah, could very sure. easily do that. The um, other, you know, thing that I've been thinking about with the future of this is like, there's a lot of companies that I work with that are so early that it's not as if they have some five year roadmap for what their hiring looks like. So I end up doing a lot of opportunistic networking, and you know how there's like the the role of the venture scout out there yeah, in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the idea of a talent scout, right? Like I have these companies that I trust and trust me people that I know in and out. And if I'm going to get together with them on a quarterly basis and understand how the organization's evolved, what their goals are, talent gaps, talent density, it allows for me, like someone who's constantly just taking conversations with good yeah. people to say, hey, you should talk to this person. You don't need them today, but in six months you're going to, or 12 months you're going right. to. And I have a few of those and that's great. And that's very different than like traditional executive search. That's more like advisor with some sort of, you know, then how do you pay? How do you? What's like the financial difference? It, it, you know, that's something I'm toying around with now. I mean, yeah. I think for now, it's every agreement that I have. If if people hire someone that I've introduced to them, there's a fee, right? Like that's just the way it operates. I don't do yeah. contingent search, but I like this model because I think that contingent search is fundamentally flawed in my mind. It's people that are kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. For this, it's much more about I know these companies so well that I can actually filter the right people their way, right? And yeah. I don't want to build a huge staffing business. I want to have a boutique yeah. shop that works with great companies and great clients. And it's more about quality. So if I have a list of 20, 30 clients that I've worked with in the last few years, and I can keep tabs on where they are, it allows for me to bring the right introduction, introductions to them at the right time. So you're, are you thinking about breaking? Do you have a number of different services now? Do you have like a do, suite? Yeah. And we're yeah. small, right? But it's interesting. Yeah. Like the advisor yeah. thing, coming back to your earlier question, um, I coach a bunch of um, recruiting leaders, people leaders, operators on, you know, all things talent and, and people. Um, I get together with founders, you know, quarterly, uh, spend some time with them, just think about what's coming up, help them see around corners. You know, there's, there's basic like tactical stuff, what ATS should we use and, you know, things like that. But I actually just keep an ongoing Slack connection with the majority of clients. And, you know, they're, they're pretty much bouncing ideas off of me every other week. <laughs> How many Slack uh, groups are you in? A lot. Uh, yeah. a lot. I, I, you know, I, I have um, probably like six, seven emails at any given point in time. And, you know, oh, it's so just, you, do you get emails at these companies? So you the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we I think that. it makes sense, right? Like, yeah. I, I said to people, you know, if things go well here, it's the company that they should be excited about, not me. 
you know, they should trust that I'm going to make a good connection, but like, I'm really pitching your product, you know, like that's, that's the more important thing. Um, it doesn't matter if they love talking to me, if the, the role doesn't give them fulfillment and, and what they need. So, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll embed with clients or my team will embed with clients. And I think it's more just, so we're on the same page. It's, It's kind of a, you know, we're on the same team here as partners versus we're your yeah. third party that you exactly. Talk to yeah, we we call our we say we're a second party structure, right? You're not yeah. hiring us as W two employees, but we're definitely not this third party outside agency. We want to be integrated and unify ourselves with you. We just call that a second party structure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's another idea. I've been. I got to reach out to you on this on the side, but. Um, <clears throat> One of the, the things that I believe is um, the, the next generation of leaders is going to continue to evolve the way companies operate in like a much more like human centered way. Right. So younger founders, younger companies, younger executives are coming with ideas that I think are more disruptive to traditional operating practices. That said, they don't have the the wisdom of experience, right? So what I've done with clients is, you know, call it emerging leaders, right? Like whatever you want to call it, it's it's that next wave of of um, executive talent for startups. I've connected them beyond just making the hire, connected them with more experienced advisors and mentors on top of you know the full time hire, right? And I've been toying around with this idea of like a future, you know, I don't, I don't know what the name of it will be, but some sort of emerging talent community or marketplace, right? Where mm-hmm. there's a network of people who've been there and done it that maybe don't want to do it for your company because it's too early, but we can connect you with the up and coming leader and connect you with the mentor to d- develop them, help them see around corners. And it's more of like this uh, circular like growth that happens yeah. because there's there's the wisdom there without having to have that person full time. Would you so would you like vet and go through a, a vetting process for that talent? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I have a lot of that network already. I mean there's yeah. founders and operators that I've worked with in the past. Um, you know, I still connect advisors to people. I don't charge for it, <laughs> you know? So it's like, if I could find a way to build a product or service there, especially with the, the, the fractional work that's happening and, you know, more, you could get a lot of value out of someone who's been there and done it before that only works with you a day or two a week. Like yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot of value to be had there. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, even for, for our business, I've done that on the finance side, mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking about doing it on on the HR side. I think it makes a ton of sense. Going back into company values and like culture and your you know how important culture is. For us, I've used these principles. I guess it's probably what I learned at Amazon, so I did it. But how do you recommend when a company's just getting started? Well, first of all, how many companies at that stage recognize that they need to start establishing and thinking about a culture at that's at that stage? And then if you get them to that point, what are some of the things that you, you know, tell them they should be doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that the reality is even if you don't establish your values, your culture's there, the environment's there, your behavior's there, right? So, you know, it's it, you have a culture, even if you want to say culture is not important to me. Like that, that is your culture. No, that's the culture. You're yeah. someone that brushes it off. So it's this big circular conversation that people have. And I've had it with founders before where they're like, I don't want to invest and talk about that stuff. And I'm like, that's your culture. You don't get it. And there that's you go. It, right. So, um, you know, I think culture is a collective set of like behaviors and, and an understanding mm-hmm. of what good looks like within an environment. Right. And I think that 
getting to know hiring manager, founder, ultimately it's all going to flow from the CEO, right? The person who has the power to hire or fire anyone across the company, like that's, that's it, right? And that's there. So get to know that person. What, what does good look like for them? How do they operate? How do they communicate? Uh, and try to unpack some of that and build it into your hiring plan, right? So we talked about skill and experience being table stakes. Like you could define that in a doc, the MOC doc, the, whatever you want to call it, right? You build your plan around that, but then actually build intentionally motivational alignment and cultural alignment. Even if you don't have those things defined, that's my job to help you figure that out, mm. right? So it's really like getting to know people. I do discovery meetings with CEOs that they don't even know that I'm kind of unpacking yeah. some of this, but I'm asking them questions to, to, to try to understand them. And through a search, through having them meet people, you start to pick up on their mental models a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So now you've just put yourself in a situation where you're doing a high level, you know, exec recruit job and you have a number of candidates you have to decide on. What do you do? <laughs> Walk me through that decision process. Yeah. I mean, you're saying a number of candidates that we feel like could be, could be good for the job. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess you could pause me and say, that's not how it works, but like, no, I'm I mean, assuming you get to a point, there's like three or two or three that you're like, oh, these could work. And I'm going to review them with the, the CEO or founder. And we're going to yeah. make a decision. I mean, you've been through, like at Etsy, we did the debriefs, right? And and you were on some of those panels, I believe, and, and you went through those. I, I encourage debriefs on every, every you know, candidate or batch of candidates, right? So get feedback in, document it, make sure everyone's got really clear focus areas, like the basics. Everyone should be doing this at this point. And it's public knowledge, like how to, how to approach that. But I think for me, it's the why, the what, and the how, right? So motivational alignment is so underestimated and, and undervalued. You could find someone that has all the skills for the job that aligns with your culture, but if the growth motivation and like value prop is not there for them as a candidate, it's pretty fragile in my opinion, right? You can, you could try to get it done, but if for some reason things go wrong in the first six months, they're picking up recruiter calls, right? So I try to bake motivational alignment in as part of the interview process, like do sessions on that, do follow-up conversations on it and get to why people want the job. What are they looking to accomplish, right? And then, you know, culture, obviously, is a big one. So we're coming up at time. You just heard my thing ding. I have a, I have a meeting in a bit. I just heard your, your kiddo come in the room. Um, before we jump, if people are interested in what you're building, your philosophy on talent and culture, how can they follow along? Yeah, for sure. I mean, LinkedIn, I try to post on there. I put a reminder on every once in a while to, to, to write something. I'm like allergic to it, but I need it. I, I've said a few times, like, I'll know that I'm ready to um, retire and be successful when I can delete my LinkedIn profile. Um, but uh, no, on there is big. We have a website, um, you know, purposetalent.org. Um, it's, it's, you know, I have done a bunch of blog posts, but the place you'll find me is really like networking on LinkedIn, um, you know, really you know, getting out there and, and, you know, not just telling the story of like purpose talent, but, you know, trying to spread the word on the, the stuff that we're working on, the clients that we work with. Right. And, you know, for me, if anyone ever wants to reach out and just have a conversation, I'm, I'm there, you know, it's easy to find me. Love it. Thanks for that. And thanks for the time. We should definitely do some more collaboration between yeah. Fluvio and purpose talent. Um, so I'm going to touch base with you about, about I need product that. marketing on my uh, advisor. Yeah. Uh, I've been, I'm not a product marketer, right? So, uh, But I will uh, at some point in the near future. Well, I can help there. And then I think we could definitely put our heads together around the discipline of product marketing and leadership and product and marketing and how you best find talent and establish yeah. a culture and, 
um, we have thoughts there and obviously we'd welcome you to join us. So sure. we'll ping you on that, but thanks again for taking time. Great catching up for um, sure. and have a, a great holiday season. Yeah. And I'll see you out in Colorado when that uh, golf course opens. <laughs> yeah, please, please All organize right. that. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you. And that's a wrap on this episode of Embracing Erosion. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have any feedback or comments or would like to have certain guests on the show, please feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is devin at fluviomarketing.com. And if you want to acquire additional product marketing resources, please do visit fluviomarketing.com resources. Until next time. Thank you.